Hey there, I am Anna Michelle Gomo and you are welcome to the podcast. This is a safe space where I get to talk about God and how we can build our relationship with Him. On each episode, we'll be diving below the surface of the Bible to encounter God and grow. Currently, we are on a 365-day Bible challenge and it has been fantastic so far. And so I invite you to join us today because God has a word for you, but it is up to you to listen. So please stay tuned. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Floodcast. Today is day one to four of a Bible in your challenge and you are welcome back once again. We will be continuing on our journey, taking readings from the books of 2 Samuel, 1 Chronicles, as well as praying along with Psalms. So today we have such an amazing read, especially from Second Samuels, and the fact that they're all connected, all three readings from the three different books are connected. So first of all, we're looking at Second Samuels chapters 6 and 7. And first thing that comes right at us when we start is the fact that God strikes a man dead for touching the Ark of the Covenant. And if you're reading this for the very first time, it would seem very surprising that God would do something as rash or as harsh as that. That was how it was for me until I kind of understood the reason why. So let's look at the context, first of all. The time where the Israelites went to battle with the Philistines, um, that was at the same time, um, I think, when the Philistines captured the Ark. So we've we've definitely gone through that. Uh, You can recall that the Ark spent some time with the Philistines and with that came in the plagues and the Philistines had to send the Ark back to the Israelites. And the Ark wasn't sent to the capital of Israel or to the tent of meeting or to the tabernacle. It was sent to a house of a man named Abinadab. And that is where it has been since then. And so today, David, after acquiring so much and after being fully established as the king of Israel, decides to bring the Ark to Jerusalem. And so he goes to the house of Abinadab with some men and he takes the ark, puts it in a cart and they transport it or they attempt to transport it to Jerusalem. But then along the way, we have this man, Uzzah, who is one of the sons of Abinadab, wanting to support the ark when the um, cart was a bit unstable while they were transiting and God strikes him dead. So first of all, when God was given the commandments and the rules guiding how the Israelites were to move from one location to another, that was even when they were back in the desert. He gave them very um, specific instructions. First of all, the ark was the most holiest object that the Israelites were in possession of. The ark contained the staff of Moses, which was a symbol of leadership and priesthood. It also contained the commandments, the Ten Commandments given by God to the people of Israel, and then he also contained the manner that was sent to the people of Israel, which fed them all through their time in the desert. So it was pretty much a collection of the most holiest items that God used in providing and caring for his people. And so when God gave the instructions, he instructed that the ark wasn't to be carried on a cart or on a donkey or on any object. It was to be carried on the shoulders by priests, not just any priests, but by Levite priests from the tribe of Kohath. So there was a particular group of people that were given the sole job of carrying the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders 
by a staff that was to be passed through rings on the ark. And we see that David kind of neglects that aspect and <laughs> probably he forgot. I don't know. I don't know the state of David's mind during this time, but he probably forgot or he knew what he was doing and he decided to do otherwise. Either ways, it was a complete disobedience of God's instructions. And that is one thing. So they placed the ark on a cart and it has been written um, on the journey. So that is one um, part that it feels that we see probably God was angry at this point, but he didn't, he didn't want to show it or express it. And then Uzzah happened to be the sacrificial lamb because then he makes the mistake of touching the ark. Nobody touches the ark. Not even the high priest touches the ark. That is how holy it is. And regardless of the fact that Uzzah probably was trying to stop the ark from falling or stumbling, it was disobedience. And we might see it as harsh, we might see it as God being too cruel, but the thing is that this gives us a glimpse or it gives us a picture of what happens when we sin. When we sin, we know what God wants us to do, we know the instructions that God has given us, but we decide to consciously disobey that and do what we want. And in the case of Uzzah, it was a physical death. In our case, it is more harsh, the consequence of sin is spiritual death. You don't get to die physically immediately or as dramatic as it was in the readings that we see today. But we get to have a more um, eternal consequence of spiritual death. And so we have to be very cautious because in as much as God is mercy and God is full of forgiveness, God is also the God of justice. And if we want to be people that live up to the expectations, we have to learn to obey God's commandment as it is given and not try to twist and turn it to suit us. God's word doesn't change with time. It doesn't change with age. It doesn't change with year. It is the same. And we can learn so much from this. Another thing that we see is that, okay, after David um, sees what happens, first of all, he is angry at God, like this is really harsh. But then he becomes worried because now how did they get the ark to Jerusalem? He becomes scared, like pretty much everyone. Now everyone is scared. They don't want to get too close to the ark because they don't want to be the next person to die. And so he leaves the ark in the house of Obed-Edom for three months. So here I want to draw this beautiful parallel comparison with what happens in the future. So in, I don't know, um, the listeners, I don't know, most of the listeners are probably not Catholics, I don't know, but I'm Catholic. So in the Catholic Church, we call Mary, one of the numerous names that we give to our mother Mary is Ark of the Covenant. She is the Ark of the New Covenant. What we see in today's readings is the Ark of the Old Covenant. And so this is one of the reasons why we call Mary the Ark of the New Covenant. So I'm going to show you this beautiful parallel comparison between two instances. So first of all, we're told in today's readings that David leaves the ark in Obed-Edom's house for three months, and his house is on the hill of Judea. Mary, while she was pregnant with Jesus, goes to the house of Elizabeth, who also lives in a hill country, in a hill town of Judea, and she stays with Elizabeth for three months. The Ark of the Covenant contains the Word of God, the commandments, the manna, and also the staff of Moses. Jesus, who is in the womb of Mary, 
also is the fulfillment of the ark because he is the high priest, he's the great high priest, meaning he has the divine leadership of Moses. He is also the bread of life, meaning he is the fulfillment of the manna that God gave the Israelites in the desert. And he is also the word made flesh, meaning he is the complete fulfillment of the Ten Commandments. And so Mary is pretty much carrying Jesus. Mary is the ark that is conveying the holiest of holies. Another comparison that we can see is that when David um, sees what happens to Uzzah and he becomes scared, he asks this question. He asks, how can the Lord come with me? Because he's scared now. How can the Ark of the Covenant come with me to Jerusalem? But Elizabeth also asks this question when she sees Mary. She says, what? Or I think she says, okay, let me read it. Let me not just say anything out of context. She says, who am I that the mother of my Lord will come to me? she makes the same exact exclamation that David makes on their encounter with the Ark of the Covenant. Mary stays with Elizabeth for three months. The Ark stays in Obed-Edom's house on the hill country for three months. Another beautiful comparison is that after David um, comes back again with people and comes in the proper way to convey the Ark of the Covenant, he comes with shouts of joy. Even after they take their first six steps, he offers burnt offerings to God. And he dances, there is leaping, there is joy, there is David dances with just a linen cloth on his waist. And so there is joy, there is music. And we are told that when Elizabeth encounters Mary, she exclaims that the baby in her womb, which is John the Baptist, leaped for joy on hearing the voice of Mary. So this, this comparison is not just a coincidence, it is such a beautiful depiction of the significance and of the importance of our Mother Mary. And if our Mother Mary is the Ark of the New Covenant, we can be rest assured that her importance in our Christian life cannot be overemphasized. The Ark of the Covenant contained objects that were man-made, although they were holy because they were consecrated to God. But Mary, a human being, contained God himself, God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, in her three in one like it doesn't get holier than that and so if the ark of the covenant was to be held in with such regard and such respect that someone died because they touched it with their bare hands how much more are we expected to respect and to honor our mother mary which is why um we we, we do not overlook our Mother Mary's importance. She is not just another woman or just a regular woman that happened to give it to God. She is the woman that was chosen and was set aside from her birth to contain God himself. And that is so beautiful and so amazing. So another thing that happens in today's readings is that while David is leaping for joy and dancing with all this might, careless, not even thinking about what anybody would think of him, we have Micah who is a daughter of Saul that was initially betrothed to David, and he eventually marries her. And she tells David, she kind of rebukes him that he's dancing like a fool, he's making a fool of himself, he's the, supposed to be the king, he's supposed to, you know, hold himself with high esteem, not dancing like a madman. And we are told that Micah becomes barren. She has no children for the rest of her life. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about you, but for me, I think that is that is a pointer that when we are in God's presence, nothing else should matter to us. We are not 
praising or worshiping God with our words or because of our location, we are honoring God and giving him the worship he deserves with our hearts. And we have to understand that that is why Jesus said a time will come where people will not go up to Jerusalem to worship God, but they will worship God in spirit and in truth. And so how we comport ourselves in prayer when we come to God and want to converse with him truly matters. Because if you know all the words, if you know how to recite all of the prayers, but your heart is very far away from God, then you can be rest assured that your prayers are not going to him, most definitely. So while we are praising God and worshiping God, do it with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your might. And then we move on to chapter 7. So chapter 7, David finally um, brings the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And now he decides, okay, how about we build a temple for God? I mean, I'm living in this beautiful palace. God, who is whose presence is in the Ark of the Covenant should also be living in a good place. But then God tells him that you're not the one to do that. I have given you your job. Uh, you are to fight the battles of the Israelites against the Philistines, and you have done that. And so the job of building the temple is to go to your son, who is King Solomon. We'll be reading about his story in a few days. But God reestablishes the covenant he makes right from the time of Abraham to Jacob, to his sons and now to King David. And God tells King David that his dynasty will have no end. Of course, David eventually dies. And of course, Solomon, who becomes king, um, is the last king to rule the both or to rule all of the tribes of Israel um, successfully because after King Solomon, the tribes divide. But that doesn't mean that the promise is broken. Even when the Israelites go to exile in Babylon, as we'll be reading as well, it never broke that promise or that prophecy that King David's line and his dynasty will reign forever because Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. Jesus comes from the line of King David. Um, the Gospel of Matthew shows that genealogy for this exact reason, to prove that Jesus is the king whose reign, whose kingship, whose dynasty will never, ever end. And I think that is so beautiful that right before Jesus was even born, there are these amazing prophecies that were spoken about the Messiah and the Savior. And Jesus fulfills every one of them. And this is the amazing relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That, that's why I marvel a lot when I hear people say that the Old Testament is irrelevant because it is. It, it, it is most definitely relevant. It gives meaning to the New Testament. Testament, and that is so beautiful. And then we look at Psalms 89. I think Psalms 89 gives a beautiful description of the human emotion and how complex our lives really are. So in the beginning of Psalms 89, you have David being full of thanksgiving. He says, I will sing of his steadfast love forever and ever. And then we move down to the middle of the Psalms like in verses 49, where David says, Lord, where is your steadfast love of old? So David is full of praise and thanksgiving in the first part of the Psalms, thanking God and promising that he's going to sing about God's steadfast love. But then towards the end, David is asking, like, where is the steadfast love? Like, you have abandoned me. Um, you promised that my dynasty will never end, but it seems like it's already ended. And the thing about our lives is that it might feel like that a lot of the times, that Sometimes we feel so blessed, we feel so grateful for all of the things that God gives us, 
and then right the next minute something comes and it feels like God has abandoned us and God is so far from us. But the beautiful thing about this verse is that just like many of the other Psalms, David ends with this words. He says, blessed be the Lord forever. In good times, blessed be the Lord God forever. In bad times, blessed be the Lord God forever. When I'm confused, blessed be the Lord God forever. When I am sure of what to do, blessed be the Lord God forever. And this is the resolve we should have, that our ability to bless and to honor God and to adore him and to acknowledge his superiority shouldn't be dependent on our circumstances because God is above that. We know that our lives change, seasons change, seasons come and go, our phases start and end, but God is eternal. He never changes. He, 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 he doesn't switch. He's also always the same. And so we have to acknowledge this, and this should in turn affect our, our reaction or our attitude towards God. And I hope it is my prayer, um, regardless of whatever season you're passing through, good or bad, confusing or sure, clear or cloudy, I hope that through God's grace, you have the ability to bless and to honor God in good and in bad times, knowing that his faithfulness will never change. Thank you guys so much for listening this far and I hope to see you in the next episode. We have so many things to unravel and I am so excited and I hope you tune in once again, same time, same place. Please do not forget to share, leave a review and subscribe if you haven't and I hope that you have an amazing day.